Well, good morning, everybody. My name is A.B. Bishop, and this is the 3CR Gardening Show. Welcome to Sunday morning, the 20th of June, World Refugee Day, for anybody who might be interested. Um, with me in the studio, um, we've, I've got a couple of fantastic guests this morning, and I have to say it's really lovely to set eyes on them both after so long of not being able to see anyone. Uh, so we have um, Garlic and Herb Extraordinaire, Penny Woodward. Good morning, Penny. And, and we have with us from uh, Cloud Hill, who's um, managed to work his way through the um, befuddle of trees, no doubt, uh, Jeremy Francis. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, A.B. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> so you obviously got here okay. Yeah, so oozed out of the hills very gently. Yes. Um, the, 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 the roads are still a mess, and in fact, Several are still closed mm -hmm. after, what is it, how many days now? Ten days or whatever it's been. Um, the, um, but I came down the mountain highway and that's not too bad. Not too bad. But the, uh, the uh, tourist road is closed in two or three sections still. Yeah. Yeah, so a uh, big mess and a, kind of an interesting conundrum. But... Um, Yes, but uh, we, we came off. through very well. Cloud Hill is fine. We, we were sheltered by the, uh, by the, uh, by, uh, well, the, the ridge to a certain degree and, yep. and the configuration of trees off to the southeast. So uh, um, the only thing I noticed um, was that the top of our liquid amber formasana had been knocked off, so about two or three metres. But I'd been thinking a few weeks earlier, that's getting a bit high. So. <laughs> Did, did you a favour then? Yeah, so the plan always was to try and keep that rather small and prune it back. It's the um, it's the form selected for its winter colour. There's a, there's there's two or three forms of form asana floating around there. Mm -hmm. It's the liquid amma um, uh, from the um, um, what the oriental the oriental liquid amber, I suppose, with the um, uh, with the leaves, with um, three lobes to the leaves, mm -hmm. um, and this particular form turns a lovely maroon red in the uh, winter. Mm -hmm. It's actually semi-evergreen, meaning that it drops its leaves in the spring. Um, so it's a nice tree for a winter effect. And um, uh, I popped ours into a spot where it needs to be kept fairly small. So, <laughs> and, and how <laughs> so the wind came along and <laughs> helped with the pruning. So it's pretty tall. Well, oh, it's up about eight uh, metres or so, but I'd want to try and keep it to about six metres, yeah. so I'd just keep it to large shrub size. Sure. So, that, I mean, that's small for liquid amber size, really. Oh, yes, <laughs> very much so. I mean, it's a slightly smaller tree than Australia uh, lack of... What yes, am I trying to say? <laughs> the American <laughs> liquid early, amber. Sorry, wrecked that. with a fluor. Um, yes, too early in the morning. Um, but uh, a lovely thing, the form asana, um, and this this particular form is worthwhile tracking down. Okay, yeah, it's um. interesting, isn't it, with the whole um, storm thing? It seems to be a couple of different stories coming in. People either, and I fall into this category, which is kind of odd given I'm in the middle of the bush, lots of tiny branches down, almost from, as you say, Jeremy, a bit of top pruning, um, or... Trees down, trees and massive branches down, and sort of not nothing really in between. I mean, where obviously you were in a relatively sheltered spot, Jeremy, and, and we were too, even though we had that 
wind, that crazy wind all night and I was lying there in bed just waiting for a tree to land on something. Uh, it never happened all, all night, so that, that was pretty good. But I, I slept straight through it. My wife, on the other hand, <laughs> was awake and listening to trees thumping down um, and where we actually live, which is um, uh, just a few minutes away from Cloud Hill, um, um, it was uh, well. Uh, our house was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Leaves plastered to the southeast corner of the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but only a few metres away, a whole section of the forest collapsed. And um, uh, it's, it's just extraordinary. What was dense forest is now open, wow. and uh, maybe thirty, forty trees came wow. down. In in and that's true for large areas of the hills just right. occasionally where the wind was funneled by the topography um, uh, and some tree let go and down it went and then it exposed more trees and down they all went yeah. I actually yeah. there's yeah. a story photo on the H that um, shows a similar effect but in Gippsland mm. where um, this, just this forest just, it was just collapsed it was as if someone had gone through with a chainsaw and cut every single mm. tree down within that 20 square metre yeah. I haven't actually seen Calorama. Uh, th- it's still closed. Um, but I did um, have a look across from the RJ Hamer Arboretum. Mm-hmm. And again, you can see sections of forest that have collapsed. And then the ridge line, or the Calorama ridge line, which was solid trees, now has gaps everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's looking from two or three kilometres away. But I just stood there with my mouth open. Yeah, uh, yeah so, those. So, Jeremy, it's not just isolated trees that have come down because we often have that story, don't we? That you know, trees that aren't protected by other big trees mm. are more likely to fall. So, what you're saying is up there, it's trees in the middle of the forest that have come down. Um, yes and no. I, 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 I look up. I, did a bit of checking yesterday. Um, I must admit, after the um, after the storm itself, we we just got off the mountain <laughs> uh, for one or two uh, reasons. Uh, my wife is recovering from an operation, and we just the idea of spending a week or so without power, which I could see straight away mm. because all the power poles have been pulled sideways. <laughs> so we just um, drove off the mountain. Uh, eventually ended up in Point Lonsdale, so we had a little holiday in Point Lonsdale oh for gosh. a week or so. Yeah. Uh, could have seen my sister. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, <laughs> and drove back um, um, the um, on, on Friday, um, and yesterday we we did a bit of checking. Drove all around Sherbrooke to see how the forest there has fared, and I, I could hardly see any damage whatsoever. Mm. And mm. certainly there, where the forest is dense and where the periphery of the, the, the forest was defended by by the, the topography in any way, um, everything is fine. Oh, I think so, it, you know, it, so, the topography did have a lot to do with that. And mm. just, of course, having that, that was a massive easterly that came in. Mm. And our trees are just not used, used to, to easterly east. winds. Absolutely right. Uh, yes. In, in fact... We're in a rental house, and and the reason why we rented it was because the only dangerous trees were off to the southeast. We have two quite big ones off to the southeast. Uh, so as I said, Valerie was, had a very nervous night uh, on that um, Wednesday, Wednesday Thursday night. Um, those trees held together, mm. <clears throat> but just um, 
about 100 metres off to the uh, off in one direction, a whole section of the um, forest just collapsed. Um, Chilbrook's fine. Uh, the George Tyndale Memorial Gardens, as far as I could tell, at mm. least driving past from the top, no damage whatsoever. Um, I, I'm not. I haven't. I understand that the uh, the uh, botanic gardens, the what used to be the National Rhododendron Gardens, yep. are not too badly affected. Yeah. Um, but slightly more exposed areas, devastation, mm, mm. and hundreds of houses damaged and destroyed. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. What about yourself, Penny? How did you feel? Look, down on the peninsula, we certainly got the winds, mm. um, and we got what you were talking about before, the masses of small leaves. Yeah. So right up and down all the streets, all the, the, the trees had just had leaves ripped off them. Yeah. And um, so that they were piled up in the gutters and things. And fortunately, the council sent the sweeper round the next day and <laughs> swept them all up. Otherwise, we would have all had block drains and yeah, stuff. But okay. because there was just so much of it, but a, a few branches, but no big trees down no in summer. That's at amazing, all. isn't it? Even yeah. even though it was a, a southeasterly, which yeah, is you unusual. You guys would have got and we've pummeled. got some really big individual trees in in summers. Um, yeah. But no, I didn't see any. There were some smaller things down and a couple of big branches, but I didn't see any big trees. Yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah. so it's obviously really individual. But mm. we got the full blast because we're near, near the water, so you know yep. it just comes straight off the water. There's nothing protecting us. Yeah, that's um, that's really so, quite yeah, weird. Don't know. Yeah, and we're, I mean, I'm at Karanga, as you know, a couple of days a week, and Mount Evelyn and Lilydale through there is just incredible. You can't drive 20 metres without another 30-metre tree being down and all the, brought all the power lines with mm. it, and uh, they had power off there and, until, I think, Sunday night, early Monday morning. Yep. Uh, so I, now for the big, big long clean up, and uh, d- don't don't drive up into the <laughs> yeah, Dandenongs to uh, to be no. a, a tourist at the moment. Just avoid that. No, area no, completely. yes, please don't. Uh, the Dandenongs are going to be closed for another few days. Yeah. We'll, we'll let people know uh, when it's uh, okay to come through, but at the moment it's still a mess. Um, and uh, quite unpleasant to drive through, actually. And it just makes it harder for everyone. Yes, absolutely. To work, there are there are teams. Uh, uh, the um, power company have teams everywhere, yeah. big trucks everywhere, desperately getting cables back onto poles. Um, yeah, so and, and that's another issue. The the bundled cables that were put through the hills back after 2009. Uh, which is um, they, they were designed to reduce the fire risk, and they were reasonably quick and inexpensive way to go. Apparently, mm. um, there was a lot of humming and hawing in the bureaucracy about whether to underground them. And of course, that was the recommendation from the Royal Commission. Yeah. Uh, somehow, it didn't happen. And in fact, they started putting those cables up right outside our place. And I remember my astonishment at watching these teams putting these things up. And uh, I went and had a chat and, and uh, trying to figure it out. Um, Anyway, what happened was the um, the big trees coming down over the bundled cables. They designed they, they sit on brackets from the tops of the poles, of course, and the brackets are designed to let go if a tree comes down over a cable. Mm. And so all the cables came thundering down as the trees came down, but as they came down, they pulled all the poles sideways, and so okay. many. 
I, I was checking the polls, and every second poll had been... <laughs> it, it was noticeably pulled sideways um, in our section of the hills anyway. Mm. And um, so the thought at the moment is that, uh, yes, the, some of the power at least will be undergrounded. Mm. Um, there are problems with it, but the, the, um, the, the, they have to put the cables quite deep to get below the root zone of the trees. Mm. And there's and lots of, and they've got to be quite big trenches too, don't they? Which can well, damage the trees. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, whether they can drill these holes, um, tunnel well, them. Uh, tunnel them, or mm. yeah, there's different ways of going about it. But another little hazard in the hills are floaters, these basalt. Rocks which you, you don't know about until you start to drill a tunnel and you hit mm. one of them, and they're mm. very, very difficult to drill a hole through. And they can be the size of a well, of a, they can be very substantial, mm. many, many cubic meters yep. in size. Um, so the power companies have got an interesting little tussle. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I mean, it's interesting in terms of, of course, wildlife um, is going to be a, a big impact on, mm. um, um, yeah, anything that uses the trees, essentially, which is um, most, yep. of, most of our critters. And also that um, sort of emotional um, stress that comes from it all and then people wanting to pull down trees and not, mm. not plant big trees and all of that, that sort of comes along with it. Yeah. Which, yeah. The, the Should we be seeing if anyone's awake yet? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll just uh, get to, there's only a couple of community announcements first. Um, uh, so sorry, one of them I have to read off my phone, which um, is a little bit tricky. So uh, this is a um, run by the Friends of Burnley Gardens, and this is an illustrated talk that's going to be on Zoom. And it's Michael McCoy, so fantastic landscape gardener. Michael McCoy, um, his talk is Naturalistic Planting Design in Australia, The Opportunities and Challenges. And that talk is uh, on Wednesday, the 23rd of June, so this Wednesday coming up, at 7 o'clock for 7.30 p.m. Naturalistic planting design has taken the world by storm. Michael McCoy believes that it's a revolution the likes of which we haven't seen since William Robinson trashed Victorian bedding. But the Australian climate presents a range of challenges to any slavish copy of what's being done elsewhere while presenting some unique opportunities. In his talk, Michael will explore some of these challenges and the offsetting opportunities and justify his belief that this is not just a passing, passing stylistic phase, but a paradigm shift that, while yet to settle, is here to stay. Uh, so that talk is going to be on uh, Wednesday, so this Wednesday evening, 7 for 7.30 p.m., run by the um, Friends of Botanic Gardens, as of, I mentioned. Of the Burnley. Oh, of the Burnley, Burnley. Gardens, thanks, Penny, yep. Uh, it's $10 for members and $20 for non-members, and you go via Try Booking uh, to book your spot, so trybooking.com, uh, then forward slash... B-R-L-X-L. But if you go to try booking, I'm sure you'll be able to um, find that there. So that's the Michael McCoy talk on Wednesday evening. Uh, Open Gardens Victoria is running their Cooking Up Compost Workshop. 
And this is led by the Queen of Compost, Helena Buxton. Helena will share her insights into how gardeners can learn to improve their soil naturally. This is on Saturday the 10th of July at Helena's property in Geelong. Once you book, you get given the address. Uh, the morning time slot is already sold out and when I checked uh, yesterday there were six left, six um, slots left for the afternoon uh, for, and that's from 1 o'clock till 3.30pm. It's $45, uh, bookings are essential. If you go to the Open Gardens Victoria website which is opengardensvictoria.org.au and click on the Cooking Up Compost Workshop and you'll then be redirected to the Try Booking website. Uh, so not um, a heap of uh, not a heap of community messages. Uh, I know Rip and Lee have also got a, a couple of things going on. They've got their Maker's Market, which is on the first um, Sunday of every month. So their first one is coming up for 1st of July. And they've also got um, a fantastic kids' trail. Uh, I forget what it's called, the, the Griffin... It's based on a, on a children's book, yeah. uh, English children's book uh, about this little mouse mm. that explores a forest and it's an interactive event so before you go you can download the app. If, if you go to the Rip and Lee website that they'll be able to direct you to the name of the app, the Gruffalo I think it is, um, the Gruffalo Trail and uh, it looks it looks so much it fun. fun. It looks yeah. very interactive, and I think I'm going to have to um, find get it. yeah get Chloe and, and a couple of people to uh, yes go children. in and, and, yes. and pretend that we're mice the, in the um, European forest. The Ribbonlea Garden is just worth if you haven't been there for a while. Just go and have a wander around. It's such a fabulous garden. Yeah, yeah, it's for really, sure. It really is. Good. Yeah, and, and for and for edible things as well as as well as you know flowers and all yeah, that and that. Amazing fernery. Yeah, and and I gather Como is worth going back to have a look at too because Paul Bangay has been working there and he's completely replanted the okay. big perennial bed. Okay. So um, that's looking really, sounding really interesting. I yeah, haven't fabulous. actually seen it myself. But yeah. yeah, so you know things have been happening during even during sort of oh, lockdowns. Of course, gardeners things. never stop, do they? Exactly. <laughs> so it's a good time to start thinking about you know getting out and having a bit of a look at what's happened you know during closure times. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was a really good, good opportunity for a lot of businesses and, and home gardeners to get stuck into the garden yeah. more. Uh, I know certainly uh, at Karanga we sold out of so many plants and had a big um, difficulty getting more plants in. Yeah. Like we usually would hold a few hundred kangaroo paws at any one time. And for a few weeks, there wasn't one kangaroo paw on the bench and yeah, okay. none coming in. It mm. was like mm. never, never seen that before ever. Yeah. It was just crazy. Yeah. So there's a lot more people getting into gardening now. Which is great. Which is, yeah, yeah, it's really fantastic. Yeah. So I should, should remind everyone that you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and with me in the studio are Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill and Penny Woodward. Um, all things garlic, herbs and an exciting bag of what looks like tomatoes but isn't so we will get to that uh, look if um, listeners would like to join us if you've got a gardening question or like to comment on um, the storm situation how that was at your place we'd love to hear from you to talk to us in the studio you can call 94190155 and if you want to chat to someone off air I think our off air um, 
person is available. I'm not 100% sure, but if you do, it's 94198377. We have moved into the 21st century, so now you can also text us on 0488809855, and we'll be able to hopefully read those texts out online. And then during the week, if you have a um, particular query that you'd either like to put to uh, the panel, um, or if you just want to ask a, a question that we can, one of us can respond to you, you can email us at, um, so it's the numeral three, so three cr dot gardening at gmail.com. So um, lots and lots of ways to contact us these days. And also, um, I am being prompted to remind everybody that our Radiothon is on next week. Uh, so this is a, a chance where we can all sort of give back to the radio and, and help keep it uh, operating for another year. Uh, a lot of people put in uh, huge amounts of time and we, we love coming in. Everyone that comes in is a volunteer and we all really, really love it. And um, the gardening show, I, I think, is one of the few shows that actually has products and books and things that we can sell to listeners and um, make up our money that way. Um, so please feel free to listen next week and make a donation and buy some product if, if that's what you would like. I've brought in a box of books today mm. that are going into the mm. Radiothon next Very week. Nice. So if anyone... Um, is missing one of my books or just wants one of them. Um, Fabulous. And the money goes to 3CR. Yeah, excellent. Yes, I've brought in some habitat. I was going to bring in the Australian Native Garden, but I seem to have run out of stock. So (laughs) (laughs) just just habitat. So, yes, so please um, listen next week. Um, There's going to be a great crew on, and I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. So, again, if you want to chat with us on air, please call 9419 Oh one double five. Okie dokie. So, Penny, we yeah. just have to talk about that <laughs> yeah. big, big I bag sitting look, on the They, they look absolutely it amazing. It's very uh, dangerous. They, they, I have to admit they, that they, I did. First class, they look like uh, uh, tomatoes. But I did mention these last time <laughs> I was in, so I probably shouldn't talk about them too much. But my bush, which is usually about one metre tall and one metre wide, and it's a perennial chili, it's capsicum pubescence, um, also called ricotto, but uh, it's not the black-seeded ricotto. They have white seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have thick skins like capsicums, yep. like, you know, oh, sweet okay. capsicums. Yeah. Uh, so they don't dry. They need to be used. And I've just got so many of them. I've picked hundreds off the plant. I've had them in buckets out the front asking Whoa. people to take them. And this is, I think it's almost finished. This is sort of getting towards the end. I've used the ones I wanted to use. But they're hot, you know. I I some I find them very hot, mm-hmm. but I know chili aficionados who've said, yeah, they're hot. They're okay. <laughs> Not they're okay. It's like warning. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, they're just beautiful. They're beautiful to use. So I've really brought them in today to give them to you guys if you want them. Did you <laughs> Did you take a photo for the no, for Liz? I didn't. Oh, we, we'll have to do that. So yeah, we'll do that and send it to Liz. So also, quick shout out to Liz. Thanks so much. She organises yeah. our Facebook page and our Instagram page. If you want to go there, um, we we have our, our plants up that we're going to talk about or we have talked about. Uh, and, and in this case, I'll definitely take a photo of that because that looks like the most in, insane bag of 
juiciest, plumpest, reddest tomatoes they you've so ever inviting. seen in your they life. Look, you, you, you look at those things and, yes, I'll, I'll just have a bite. Yeah. Know, half a dozen or so. Yeah, you can trick a lot of people with those. <laughs> I mean, they're quite firm, but don't rub your eyes after you've had Okay, them. I was so going to say, it does get yeah, on your, you your do, hands as you well. You do need to... Be careful. Okay, so it's not one we're going to try in the studio. Absolutely not. I wouldn't because, bite, um, bite into it. Oh, it. Okay, so now I'm looking at it closely. It does yeah. look like a, a mini capsicum, but, but super yeah. red. But you can you can grow mini capsicums. Um, so you can get because I do grow those, and I have to be really careful when I'm putting them in a bowl inside to tell my family that you know those are the hot ones. Okay. Be careful. <laughs> yes, yes, these are the sweet ones. You can eat. You, those. you need a, a skull and crossbone yeah, sign on like in one that. bowl, and then yes. I'm sure some people so will swap it around. Tempting <laughs> to add them to a bowl of fruit. They yes. just look so lush and delicious, and yes. and. Uh, yeah. Yes, and hmm, what so, they do with the rest of the fruit, I shudder to think. Yeah, well, prob- <laughs> yeah, probably not. But yeah, you do need to be a little bit careful with them. That's what I when I put the bucket out the front, I said, please handle these carefully. Chilies. <laughs> so, so what do you do with them? Pop them in. Um, I, I add them to things. Yeah. So I tend to, if I'm making a sauce or a, um, when I, I went my tomato sauce recipe which is in the tomato book, um, I always put half of one of these into a big batch of tomato sauce because not everyone expects tomato sauce to be hot. Yeah. And it just gives it a tiny nice bite that, yeah. that you know really adds to the flavour, I think. Beautiful. Well, my um, brother and his wife are well into chilies, so yeah. I'll grab a few of those Good. and drop them off. Yeah. Uh, and I might even be brave enough to try one and, myself. And it grows really easily from seeds. Okay. So if you want your own perennial mm-hmm. chilli, mm. if, if you can keep it out, it won't tolerate frost. Okay. So you need to find a, a sunny, you know, a corner or a pot, you know, on a veranda or something. And do um, you hack it back and then let it I top do. up again? So sort of no, not, not to ground level, but I, to, do, yep. I do cut it back, well back. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. What about the rest of your veggie um, garden? Well, What's look, happening this, there? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is mainly to do with my... Herbs and the things that I'm using at the moment. One of the things I love in the garden, it's such a simple plant, but this is just a marigold. Mm-hmm. So this is the calendula marigold, mm-hmm. so calendula officinalis, plain orange yellow flowers, mm. um, and I eat the petals of them all the time. Really? So I pull them off the flower and I drop them into every salad that I make yep. at the moment and by the handful. And they have a lovely um, sort of slightly salty flavour to them, but they just look beautiful. They Make you feel good. Yeah, they you, are super bright them. and cheery, and and they're so easy to grow, and they just self sow in my garden and come up every year. And, yeah, and um, they flower for a mighty long time. And they do, they do, and they keep keep flowering. So I just think of, I look at my garden sometimes and think, you know, what are the things in this garden that I d- would not want to be without? And this is yeah. one of them. Yeah. So some things you grow and you think, yeah, that's nice, but you know, maybe you won't grow it next year or you'll grow it in two or three years' time. And um, this is one that I like to have in my garden all the time. And do you grow it in the veggie garden area? Um, it self-sows and grows. Ah, where so it maybe feels like growing. It. Yeah, okay, okay. Is <laughs> it, it quite often comes up beside the veggie garden, sort of in the path. Yeah, so, so a bit of a nematode inhibitor? Um, no, but the, that's no. the Tajitis oh, okay. Okay. marigold, yep. so, yeah, which, are, which are not edible. Um, they have, but just because of their flavour, they're, they're not so, poisonous or anything. Yeah. They're quite strong. No, these are the calendula officinalis. So, okay. Yeah, well, so they're, they're very, very they're pretty. quite different. In medieval times, they used to um, pick the flowers, dry the petals, and actually add them um, 
sell them by the bag load and they'd add them to rice and that sort of thing to provide colour. So it was almost as a saffron substitute, but obviously it's nothing like saffron and doesn't have that flavour, but it's all about the colour. Yeah, fantastic. And I could imagine you could dry the petals and and use them as confetti at weddings. All that sort of thing, yes. Very, very pretty. And and that's just very low, like ground ground Uh, cover. No, it gets up to about 40, 50 centimetres. Okay. Yeah, so tallish yeah. Um, for, for that sort of thing. But um, as I said, you don't have to do anything with mm. them. And you you can get more orange ones and you can get double-flowered ones, but I, I quite like the original simple. plain. Yeah. Simple. yeah, sometimes simple, simple is very nice. Yeah, yeah. and simple flowers are always better for bees and insects and things because they're easier to find the pollen and the yeah. nectar yeah. within the flower. They don't have to hunt through a whole lot of petals to find them. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> and and still flowering now. So yes. so how long will that keep flowering for? Uh, they, they flower right through right winter. Through winter. So they've how been wonderful. flowering yep. in autumn and they'll go all the way through yep. to spring. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So... Um, Climate change is doing weird things, apart from <laughs> meaning that trees fall over. Yeah. Um, it, I just couldn't believe that this um, geranium is in flower at this time of year. I, I just Because they don't flower in the middle of winter, mm. usually. <laughs> this is Mabel Grey, so it's the beautiful lemon-scented lemon pelargonium. Oh, fantastic. But I picked it um, because, of the, because mm. it was in flower. Um, and it, again, it's a it's a gorgeous plant in the garden, and um, but they shouldn't have flowers on it at this time. Of Is it covered in flowers? Or no, just it's just got a few flowers. Yeah. And, and my pear tree, one of my pear trees, produced all these little pears, which are still on the tree without growing. They're, it's bizarre. It's a cluster of them of tiny, perfectly shaped burbosk pears. That is super weird. Which is so there's also. Yep. I find it. I find it really interesting what What's is happening? happening in the garden, yeah. and it's one of the things I'm trying to train myself to do, to not walk out in the garden and think, "Oh God, all the weeds! Why I've got to spend more time in the garden?" <laughs> but to actually spend time in the garden, looking at the garden, yeah, um, because we miss so much if we don't just spend those quiet times. Oh, it's so, it's so well. true. I mean, we all know the health benefits of of being in the garden, and and during the week, I, I heard. Um, a, a sort of outcome of some research that the Catholic Schools Society or Catholic Schools Association had um, undertaken. I couldn't actually find the report afterwards. I just heard it on the news. And they were talking about how kids who had um, a, 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 are able to look at nature and trees, mm. etc., have better NAPLAN results yeah. than the kids that are facing roads and, and concrete yeah. structures. And so even just visually being able to see yeah. things and let alone uh, smell and taste. I mean, this, has, as you said, it's, it's got the most delightful um, lemony yeah. aroma it's in the leaves. It's the yeah, it's very hard to describe, isn't it? Like yeah. all aromas, it's a little bit tricky, but uh, uh, spicy, a bit of uh, hints of lemon. But spice. I, now, my understanding is with these um, these um, perfume leaves, pelargoniums, you can use them. I, I remember reading that you could use them. You'd sit a leaf underneath a um, a sponge cake. Uh, peppermint, to, peppermint pelargoniums. Yeah, yeah so, I've done uh, that with you. Yeah, you can line you, line yeah, the tin I was just with wondering the leaves, quite, and it gives peppermint flavour to yeah. the chocolate cake. Yeah. <laughs> so before yeah. cooking, obviously. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. Just, and, the, and the oils and then obviously just, yeah, and evaporate just through the cake. Yeah. 
that is very, very clever. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, I haven't tried it with this one because I've, you know, I've yeah, got so many I'm just trying to think. If I want a lemon flavour, I tend to use lemons. But, but a nice thing to have beside yeah. a path and just yeah. brush against. And yeah. a, a leaf. And they grow uh, so uh, easily from yeah. cuttings. Too, and so. uh, a leaf um, reminiscent of a tree geranium. Mm. Yep. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, it's very handsome. Yeah, and there's some beautiful scented pelargoniums. Oh, so, so one of the of um, the botanic gardens, um, the herb garden in the botanic gardens, has a lot of scented pelargoniums mm-hmm. that are well worth going and touching and smelling and doing. And the new sensory garden, there's a few um, scented pelargoniums. Mm. As well. I think so they all have slightly different aromas, yeah. aren't they? So that well, makeup some are, of some makeup. are really distinctly different. There's one that I grew quite a few years ago that was a coconut scent. Whoa. Which was amazing, a very small, soft-leafed yeah. one. I haven't grown it for years, but it was a lovely, lovely one. But you can get pine and you can get peppermint and you can get rose and and a co- all sorts of combinations in, in between as well. The rose-scented geranium is almost a weed in some areas. It grows so easily. Yeah, there's one of the true geraniums that does the same thing, uh, macrorhizum, mm. um, with a yeah, perfume which is, again, Road scented from yeah. memory and, yeah. and it forms a lovely ground colour and mm. a tough, easy to grow okay. true geranium yeah. as opposed to pelargoniums and the <laughs> slightly frightening erodiums. Okay. Uh, which, yes. if you ever run merino shape, which I have through an erodium paddock, uh, oh. oh, crikey, they're cruel. Uh, they, they're kind of interesting botanically because they. they uh, all these plants look rather similar until they come to how they distribute their seeds. seeds. <laughs> so is it similar and, to and, 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 in, Yeah, in well, the, the erodiums have a, a, a corkscrew arrangement, okay. uh, which the parole sheep, uh, they, the, the um, seeds uh, are very sharp with backward-pointing hairs, in, oh, which no. corkscrew their way into <laughs> their oh. legs. Oh, gosh, it's cruel. It yeah, is absolutely okay. cruel. So <laughs> Horham <laughs> just... gets into the fleece, the seed, and ruins yeah, the fleece yeah. because they're so tiny you can't mm. get yeah. them out. So it's no, a problem I've, I've, I've seen sheep with with a, two or three hundred uh, erodium seeds mm. boring their way into their flesh, dare yeah. I say, um. uh, every single leg. Oh, it's it's difficult. It's, so, as a farmer, you do your best okay. to get rid of it. Don't and plant a rose. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. I mean, seeds are amazing, aren't they? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Like when you look yeah. at it from the other point of view. Yeah. yeah. And and the geraniums, which seem so similar up until they uh, they start to ripen, the, the geraniums, this same arrangement, which looks looks so similar, turn into catapults, and the, they shoot their seeds around the place. So they're quite harmless uh, mm. in their way. But if you're watching a geranium on a warm day in early summer, you can see that where well, these seeds go pinging away. For they, I've, I've seen out we've got a geranium sitting in our cool borders, which has managed to ping its way up uh, two metres uh, and end up underneath one of our weeping maples, for instance. Yeah, you know, it's poo. That, that, <laughs> very, very handy clever. arrangement. Yes. Oh, so very, very like smart. The impatience, in a way, aren't they? They mm. just yeah. sort of all of a sudden explode. I used to yeah. stand there for hours as a kid, just mm. popping them, popping the right ones that were ready to go. Watching them. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I find it quite fascinating that a particular genus can have 
so many different essential oils in it or, or oils of different compounds that creates different smells like the Bacchausias. We've got the Bacchausia citrodora, the lemon center, mm. then we've got the myrtifolia, the, like the cinnamon and, and then gustifolia, the uh, curry leaf. So many different scents in the one genus. It's, mm. Yeah, it's quite mm. incredible, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, it's nature. It, I, mean, I know. You know yeah. This is what we lose when we haven't studied these things and they disappear and um yeah so it's a um uh okay on uh we are going to chat with um robin from selby and um hi robin how are you yeah good good Good. thanks i'm just trying to read your message here i'm trying to see what you're trying to source (laughs) do you want me to tell you yes please do (laughs) oh it's obviously it's directed at jeremy excellent yeah, yeah. Here yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you had a fabulous Puya, P-U-Y-A. I think Mirabilis, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, Alpestris. Um, uh, probably uh, Alpestris. Okay. It was in the urn. Yes, in that's the, right. In the, in the, yeah, the top garden. It, I came across it. I, you know, I kind of got up to Crate Hill regularly now. And I came across it and it was just so stunning. I've been looking for it everywhere. Can't find it anywhere. Have you got any suggestions where you could get it in Australia? Ah, <laughs> uh, we'd have to pull ours apart. I can see that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm first on the list when you do. Just yeah, remember. okay. <laughs> uh, it's a lovely thing. Um, it's uh, uh, related to the pineapples. Uh, quite handsome foliage. Uh, uh, glaucous steely, um, glaucous foliage. Slightly prickly, but not uh, not too bad, I guess. And uh, and then sending up these uh, spikes of flowers, which are an incredibly rich turquoise, uh, sort of green-blue, but uh, more towards the green side of things, but a definite hint of blue. And um, lots of substance, these flowers, and triangular. And you look at these things, and why on earth has this plant gone to so much trouble to produce a flower <laughs> like this? And I um, uh, there is a reason for it. I think it's something to do with hummingbirds in South America that pollinate oh. these um, plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they only flower occasionally. Um, and uh, Although we did have three spikes on our clump uh, this summer, so that was great fun. That was extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. No, well, we'll get stuck in and pull it apart and <laughs> have a few for sale at least. Okay, well, don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just use it regularly. <laughs> right. Okay. Good on you, Robin. Okay, thanks, thanks, Robin. So Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, Jeremy, all right. Come on, what plants have you brought in for us today? Oh, um, not, not really plants. I actually brought in a, a book. Oh, on, you brought uh, in a book. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I thought I saw bo- you bring in plants. I thought oh. I saw you bring in It must have been <laughs> Penny. No. Jenny arrived with an armload <laughs> overflowing a desk full of plants, so I'm sitting here with a book. <laughs> All right, let's um, do it. Yeah, in terms of plants, uh, well, walking around the garden, I, I, at the moment we have our snowdrops flowering. Um, and uh, I must admit I was, I was going to send out a newsletter a few days ago on the fact that our autumn colour was overlapping with our snowdrops, which is... <laughs> Yeah, we hardly have winters, do we? I mean, this, this uh, everyone else in Australia complains about Melbourne winters, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we have um, autumn colour from um, um, March into 
into June, and and uh, the liquid amber's still looking rather handsome, and our snowdrops up and flowering, and there's you know we we, we always thought we'd have a nice quiet June, but it's uh, <laughs> but uh, we have autumn colour at one end of June, and 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 their first of winter uh, flowers at the other end. Um, but uh, for my little exercise this morning, I brought in a book which um, I've been reading with great um, interest uh, on Humphrey Repton, uh, who is a um, English garden designer working in the late um, 18th, early 19th century. And uh, it's interesting because there are two great um, designers, uh, Capability Brown, that's a Lancelot Brown, really, who's but known as Capability, mm-hmm. um, uh, working in the previous generation during the 18th century, and then uh, Humphrey Repton. And um, those two um, designers uh, were right at the centre of the um, that style of English gardening, you know, the, the, the Jeanne and Anglais, the, the, um, uh, the first great school of English gardening, um, which is interesting for people living in Australia because uh, the first Europeans arriving in Australia, that's what they that's how they saw yeah. Australia as as this 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 um continent which had been sculptured by the um custodians to look like what they thought was an English garden, except that they didn't quite see it that way. They they they, they the, there was this English this the, the, these landscapes Reminiscent of a capability, capability Brown garden or a Humphrey Repton garden, and um, um, and they didn't quite the, the the Europeans didn't quite twig that it was the Aboriginal burning regimes which were creating mm. this, these extraordinary landscapes. If you want to know what an English garden looks like um, for people living around Melbourne, of course the Royal Botanic Gardens is uh, one of the uh, the great. Gardens in their style outside England. In fact, it's regarded as, as possibly the, the best example in the world outside England. So we're talking about uh, very informal gardens on the broad scale, generally with lakes, ornamental lakes, and sweeping lawns, mm. and, and no straight lines. And, and lots of beautiful vistas. Yep. So there's been a new book published uh, just recently. Um, uh, uh, Humphrey Repton, uh, Landscape Design in an Age of Revolution uh, by Tom Williamson. And it's a pretty uh, detailed examination of, of his work. Humphrey Repton was famous for um, his red books. He was a brilliant um, watercolourist, so he would walk around someone's property and um, sketch it out um, uh, with watercolours, and then he would um, he would design these paintings so that uh, they they would have flaps that uh, could so that the the one painting would illustrate how the landscape was and how it could be improved. <laughs> so it's a it's a kind of ingenious way of of setting yourself as a landscape designer, I guess. Um, he did hundreds of these things. He was responsible for over three hundred gardens. And this style of gardening, well, it, 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 it um, uh, arose with Capability Brown or rather arose with Stowe and one or two other gardens in the very early years of the 18th century. Um, and it, it was incredibly popular 
and it was uh, at a time when people were spending more money on guns than anything else. Um, and it's kind of hard for us to Sounds imagine. Sounds like COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's thought by the end of Capability Brown's life, he, he was he worked over, worked on over 300 gardens as well, right across England. Um, that uh, he and and the various people working in the same style had landscaped around about half a million acres mm. of English countryside all around the grand houses, and, and that's. And when you think of the money involved and the effort involved and the amount of people working, it, it, you, you, it's hard to get your head around. Mm. So it's a style of gardening which, which, which had completely changed the face of England. And so when the first um, Europeans to Australia um, were writing their diaries talking about the um, the, the Australia looking like a gigantic English park, they had something very, very precise in mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just something to come to grips with if you want to think, well, this country, current controversy, for instance, uh, poor old Bruce Pascoe getting hammered a bit um, over whether or not uh, the Aboriginal people were farmers. Well, they may or may not have been farmers, but they were certainly people who were thinking about the landscape and how to live in the landscape in a way that that I, I think is most probably as, as sophisticated or more sophisticated than any other culture has ever achieved. Definitely more sophisticated because it worked so much in tune with nature. Absolutely. And there was something that that had evolved and built up and intensified over 40,000, 50,000 years. And... The sad thing is that Europeans, when they arrived, just did not recognise this. We changed the landscape yep. in a brutally, in a brutal kind of way, and we're paying a penalty for mm, it right yep. now. Can I have a look at the book? Yes. Um, yeah, it looks. Uh, yeah, it's very large. It actually uses a lot of his illustrations. Of, uh, the, 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 his um, red books. Um, were famous in his own lifetime and uh, they were bound in leather so he went to a lot of trouble with these things so quite often with the garden he would do half a dozen paintings Mm -hmm. and uh, with lots of um, ideas and instructions and put them into one of these volumes which sat in the on the um, on the coffee table of the library of the the grand house for the next three or four generations (laughs) and a lot of these have survived the gardens themselves, I might add, haven't, but the red books have. And so this, this particular book is beautifully illustrated with a lot of these uh, paintings by uh, Repton himself. Yeah, it's a beautiful book, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, lovely and it, and hardcover it just book. It yeah. ties in so much. Is, I mean, is it, the writing interesting? Is it oh, easy yeah, to yeah, work it's, through? Because there's yeah. a lot of text there. It's, so obviously it's, if you're it's, into that sort of history uh, side it's, of a, it's a little bit academic, I suppose, yeah. but... Um, I suppose because I have a particular interest in it, I'm just reading it in thrall. Yeah. <laughs> to kind of illustrate this uh, and, and how popular it is, um, he's actually uh, mentioned um, by Jane Austen in Mansfield Park. Okay. okay. Um, and um, one of the characters in Mansfield Park is worrying about what to do with his garden. And, uh, and uh, one of the other characters says, well, you need to speak to Mr... Humphrey Repton, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) And actually quotes how much he charges per day. Okay. And it's there in Mansfield Park. So that's from when... Can you remember how much it was per day? Um... 
five guineas, I think. Okay. Actually, yes. uh, which in those days was a, was a, a decent amount. Yeah, it yeah. was a fairly hefty sum, five guineas, and, yeah. and it would be two, three days too. So it's not just five guineas, it would be 10, 20 guineas. Oh, wonderful. So recommended then. Absolutely. Recommended book. Yep. Yeah. Can I, Excellent. Sorry. Can I mention a couple of books that I've read yeah, recently? Fabulous. I, I yep. actually got them from the Peran Mechanics Institute Victorian mm-hmm. History Library. Okay. Which I have to. Um, I'm, I'm a member of, but I'm also affiliated with it because my daughter works there. So ah, yes, I, right. I, thought, I thought there I was a link. To, <laughs> I need to say that. But one of the things that has really cheered me over the last 12 months is that people are still writing beautiful books. And, and these are three amazing books about Victoria's gardens that um, have come out in the last 12, six months, mm-hmm. I, I think it is. So the first one is The Garden State, mm-hmm. which is inside Victoria's private gardens. And I thought of that one because it includes my wallet, for instance, which mm-hmm. is another Guilfoyle-designed garden. Um, so, um, and it's, it's written by Richard Allen and, and really lovely photography by Kimball Baker. Mm-hmm. So it looks at some really interesting gardens all over rural Victoria. Yep. Um, there's only one in Melbourne. The second one which I was so thrilled to see, is all about Maranoa. Mm, um, so the native garden yep. in Baldwin. Yep. And um, it's been put together actually by the Borondura Council. Mm-hmm. They've paid for it, but um, it's been illustrated by an art group mm-hmm. that is based in, in the garden and in Borondura, and they've done these amazing illustrations of the plants in the garden. So Maranoa... Um, Gardens have now been actually declared a botanic gardens mm-hmm. because of their length of existence and the way that they're structured and all that sort of thing. And this is a floral agent of those gardens. Okay. Um, and I, I, I found it really interesting because I'm a very um, ordered person and I think things should be in alphabetical order. And I started going through these glorious photographs and thinking, why are they in this order? Because they weren't in botanical order in in alphabetical or the botanical names or the common names. And I then read Tim Intwistle's introduction to it, and they're in the artistic order. So it's about the art as well as about the botanical science. Really good index, so that if you're looking for a particular plant, you can do that. I'm still not sure about it, but it is such a beautiful book. So anyone... As illustrated rather than photos. Yes, all all fabulous botanical illustrations done by a whole range of people um, and beautifully done. And is that what florilegium means? um, Yeah, usually. It's a florilegium is is a... um, Illustrated rather than photographed? No, no, it's it's about the... Um, looking scientifically at the plants. So it's, a, it's studying plants from a scientific basis. And these are bit proper botanical illustrations. Okay. So beautiful. Um, glorious book. And then the other one is a book called Rogue. And it's all about Rick Eckersley's garden ah. in, um, down near us, actually, yep. on the Mornington Peninsula, which has now been sold, but then they're not. Nobody seems to know what's going to happen with it next. So it may not be open, but this book might be your only way of seeing this garden mm-hmm. if, um, if you haven't seen it. But what he found was that with the garden, the thing that most interested him were the artists who came to his garden and looked at what he had done and created artworks as a result of their experience of being in his garden. Mm-hmm. So this garden has the most extraordinary photography 
by someone whose name I actually don't know, and I'm just trying to find that again. And I mean, that's interesting in terms of being Will, in... Will Slater. Is the oh, Will Slater. He, yeah. Yeah, yeah, stunning, yeah. stunning. Yeah. A really, and it, it's a real joy Slater, as Salter. a... Um, I've put Slater in the review, oh, but you might be right. Yeah. It might be Salter. Yeah, I might yeah. have. I do that sometimes. Um, so I'm sorry to Will if I've got his surname wrong. Um, but his photography is just sublime. It is. It is yep. glorious. But what, what they've done is the people who've come and done paintings, uh, every sort of 10 or 15 pages in the book, they've put a reproduction of their artwork in as, a sli- as smaller than the book. So the book itself is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but these artworks are in there, and on the back of it is an explanation of why they did what they did and mm-hmm. how they did it. Yeah, beautiful. So... Um, you know, the Rick Eckersley book is $90 or something like that, but it, I think it's worth every cent of it. But mm. um, you can also borrow it from the Pran Mechanics Institute, Victorian <laughs> History Library, <laughs> if you probably, want to. And probably um, plenty of other libraries But, well. but I just, I, I, my daughter brought the books home for me because she knows I love these sort of books. And it was such a joy to be able to access them and read them. The text is really good. Um, and it, it, I just got really excited about the fact that we still have these glorious books being produced in Australia yep. um, that celebrate our, our, our wildlife our plants in all sorts of different ways. Mm. And some of them are real works of art. Yeah, they are, and, and people put a huge amount of effort into those yeah. things, and um, they really do it for the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, but the, yes, I've, I've seen a couple of those books, Penny, and they're, they're, they're just superb, just mm. beautifully published and um, great fun. I'd, just just while you're on the artist, I'd, I'd, it's, I've got a slightly, um, a slightly um, a little confession here because... Uh, I mentioned earlier we, we uh, escaped the hills because of all the damage and, and ended up in Ocean in in um, Point Lonsdale next to Ocean Grove and um, and the first thing we did uh, once down there was to pop along to a gallery the Hive uh, because there's a collection of paintings there by Joe Rizzi of Cloud Hill which I was supposed to be there for the opening and, and uh, with great fanfare uh, um, a number of weeks ago and um, medical things intervened and unfortunately I couldn't make it um, but um, anyway we walked around we saw the remnants of the exhibition and a number yeah. of other things and so there's still some of Joe Rootsy's paintings in the hive for anyone who happens to be within Cooey of Ocean Grove so they were all done in, in yeah in Joe I mean she yeah. had put months of work into these paintings mm-hmm. there are Oh, I'm, I'm not too sure how many, but uh, uh, there's, there's about uh, seven or eight of them still there. But um, I think there were about two dozen or so, and uh, painted over a period of several years. Okay. Yeah. yeah huge so amount do, of work. Do you needs. tend to have uh, artists come and sit in the garden for hours on end for uh, a few well, months people, and paint? Well, a, a number of people have volunteered over yeah. the years, but Joe particularly is putting uh, mm. more. Uh, spent more time in Cloud Hill than anyone else. Yeah. Um, she does very dramatic um, uh, work, um, uh, lots of 
colour and texture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not so keen on brickwork. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Although she 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 uh, taught herself how to paint bricks, and one of her the paintings I noticed uh, the brickwork looked. Very handsome, but she was, she did it under sufferance. <laughs> <laughs> but you also have some beautiful sculptures in your garden as well. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, yeah, and that's right. On, that's all, on all sorts of yeah, yeah that, that's right. And Joe had used one or two of these mm. uh, as um, focal points for her paintings. A, yeah. a cultural garden, mm. all yeah. sorts of. Well, yeah. so many gardens are there yeah. these days. Yeah, absolutely. They do so much more than just grow plants. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio are Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill and Penny Woodward. Uh, the number to chat to us on air or ask a question is 9419-0155. Uh, if you want to text us a question, it's 0488 809 855. I recommend popping that into your phone so that when you're listening, if, you, if something prompts you and you just want to send us a quick text, um, it's there and you don't have to think about it. Uh, a text that has come through is from Vanessa in Brighton. Uh, hi there, Vanessa. Vanessa has got a, um, an ugly fence and she's pulled some ivy and um, other climbing things off it and ready to replace them with a less invasive plant. Uh, something that will climb up the fence but it's not going to necessarily take over. So I've, um, I've got a few natives that I'll chuck in the mix straight away. Um, I mean, some of them are, are, are relatively um, robust, we might say. Of course, there's things like your, your happy wanderer, your hardenberger violacea. There's various forms of that. Uh, there's white flowering, pink flowering, and, and the purple flowering. And then there's also a purple and white flower, which is exceptionally pretty. Uh, that one's called free and easy. Uh, there's uh, pandaria, so pandaria pandorana, the wonga vine, and that comes in a slew of colours now as well. Uh, beautiful, uh, all of these are evergreen, uh, pretty, um, really nice deep green foliage. Uh, and if you're wanting something centred, there's the native jasmine. The, I, I see that you have taken a jasmine off there, so I'm not sure if you want to replace it with a native form of that, but that's certainly one um, which would work well. But I, I guess whatever you're putting up, the, the trick really is to train them from when, when they're young. You can't um, just sort of plant them and expect them to, to do the job for you. So any suggestions from you guys in terms um, of... I, <coughs> Jeremy, you might want to correct me on this, but I noticed that Lamley's got a lovely array of clematis um, that might work well for this position because she does say that it's shaded hmm. down near the roots, yeah. um, even though it, it gets a bit more sun um, further up. Yeah, quite often the, the clematis shape is uh, ideal for these um, positions. You, you just need a, a light mesh uh, on the fence and um, uh, for the uh, plants to climb on. Um, the, uh, they, they like to grow from shade into sun, mm. uh, well, like a lot that, of climbers what, do, I suppose, but the uh, clematis are uh, particularly useful for that purpose. The Montanas, the spring-flowering ones, will flower in a little bit more shade than the uh, mm. summer flowers, uh, but they're, they're all good, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, so Lam- Lambley Nursery, um, mm. it, you know, they had, they, I just saw their list of clematis. Yep. Um, mm. Yeah, so worth having a look at possibly, but I'm sure you've got other ideas. Yeah, and then there's um, 
um, parthenocystis, I suppose, too, uh, depending on whether the fence is painted, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like she uh, wants it covered. Yeah, if it's if it's just a fence and it's never Paling been painted, fence. then uh, the uh, parthenocystis are pretty good. Mm. Uh, they're fairly lightweight, certainly compared with ivy, and uh, they're self-clinging. But if if it's a painted surface, then they um, um, they're not a good plant to use because uh, when it comes to repainting, then the uh, little affairs, the little sucker, pulls <laughs> 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 the, 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 the Virginia off. creepers and the Boston yeah. ivies used to hang on with. Uh, they they really hang on, and, and you have to sandpaper them off. And, uh, and repainting mm. is a serious job. But if it's an unpainted surface, it's they're, they're one of the best plants. The Boston ivy, the Virginian creepers are pretty vigorous, and one plant will cover a long area. If you want to, um, there's one or two which are a little bit more gentle in their growth. Um, I've got a blank as the one I'm trying to think of at the moment. Uh, Henriana. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's, um, grows about one third to one half the rate, and um, it's a little bit more interesting too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. Depending on a fence, of course, you could. Paint it and make it a feature fence rather than having a, a an ugly fence. If it's a, yeah. if it's a paling and, fence, that yeah. Japan and black then, is a beautiful colour. And then use a clematis or a, something yeah. which really will pop. doesn't actually attach itself to the surface, but hangs onto something like a mesh. And you yeah yeah mesh yeah. or pe- nice bit of Rio or something make mm. make an actual feature out of the the wire itself. But yeah, definitely need something for it to climb up. And if you're trying to cover the fence you want to uh, get out there at least once a month and just for the first year or so and just train those laterals along the wire because any climber it'll do what it wants to do in nature and that's just go straight up so it'll go straight up and sit in a big lump on top of your fence and um, you still have a bare fence but you'll have a green lump on top of it yeah uh, so Vanessa, hopefully that's given you some ideas. Of course, there's also native cl- uh, clematis if you want to go down that way, which are also lovely, beautiful creamy flowers and mm. very, very fluffy seed heads. Do the exotic uh, clematis have those really fluffy seed heads as well? Some, yes, yeah, yeah, some, some do. Uh, yeah, yeah, some yeah. of them are notable. That's a feature, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, AB, one of the... The most extraordinary sights I've ever seen was driving through a patch of Cary Forest in southwest WA near Margaret River mm-hmm. in the, on the right weekend to see Hardenbergia and the local clematis flowering simultaneously. And uh, one with purple flowers, the other with white flowers and, and growing on the understory but getting up about four, five, six metres high. And then the Cary which the carry and, and mountain ash in Victoria, uh, uh, I presume they must be allied. They're, they're very, very mm. similar, except the carry, if anything, a little bit uh, cleaner in their appearance. The, the, uh, the, this was a ravishing half an hour or so, driving around this little patch of uh, two or 3,000 acres, I suppose, of, of um, with, with these two things flowering. Mm. Now, would you know which clematis I was looking at? Uh, what was the leaf like? <laughs> we were driving yeah. along. Oh, you're and just it was driving about along. Yeah. thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the, I, 
the ones I know of are Aristata and Microphylla, and the, yeah. the um, Aristata has got the broader leaf, and Microphylla, as the name suggests, has yeah. got a much yeah. finer well, leaf. One or the other, or something closely allied. Yeah, yeah, so for WA, I'm not exactly sure, yeah. but uh, yeah. Yeah, these things can be extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and especially when you see them in nature, when they're yeah. doing, at, when they're absolutely at their best. Okay, so speaking of best, um, John Best from Hampton would like to know the name of the book that you brought in. Uh, a Humphrey Repton. So it's literally called Humphrey. A Humphrey Repton, Repton landscape design in an age of revol- revolution. And of course, when you think about it, what revolution? <laughs> the French Revolution, the of revolution. course. <laughs> Uh, in fact, it kind of interrupted his career. He he, he began the work in in um, seventeen um, ninety or so, and 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 almost within two or three years, he was uh, working with the with the with the, the wealthiest families in England and doing amazing things uh, from virtually nothing. And then along, and then there was the French Revolution that kind of slowed things. Stuff so he battled a bit, a bit <laughs> yeah. from then on. Um, and the um, author is Tom Williamson. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, publisher. Well, anyway, if you Google that, um, you'll, you'll, you'll quickly come spot up with it. it. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll find it from somewhere. Yeah, so yeah. I, yeah I, I think the best book on Repton published so far. There's been three or four over the last thirty years, but uh, this is very nice um, thorough. Yeah, very good, very good. All right, let's go to Sophie and Layla. Hi, Sophie. Good morning, how are you? Good. What's happening out in Laylaw? Well, I have um, I had two forest pansies. Unfortunately, I lost one. But I'm just looking for um, your recommendations as to best care. And uh, right at the moment, I don't know whether I should be pruning it or just letting it be. Um, whatever you can advise me, I'd, I'd appreciate. Okay, well, um, I, I won't be advising anything because I've got no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so this is Circus canadensis forest pansy. Um, we we have three or four. Um, there, there's an, a new one called Merlot with slightly smaller leaves and glossier leaves, which is meant to be a little bit more heat tolerant. Um, you can treat them any way you like. There's we've, we have one with we've we're simply allowed to grow. We have a couple which we have pollarded, more or less. Not quite. We we chop them back hard every winter, but we let it grow uh, two or three buds each time. Um, and then there's an, uh, a one or two which we just shape, but we shape fairly severely, I suppose. So it will tolerate quite hard pruning. Um, or very little pruning. Now, the advantage of hard pruning is you end up with a dense, lush effect, uh, a very spectacular summer effect. You lose the flowers. It's a plant that flowers on the bare stems in the spring, and uh, those are rather handsome. It's a leguminous plant, so it's a uh, pea-shaped flower, Um, frost pansy has a a, a sort of a, a rather rich pink flower, so known as the red bud in America, in Canada, and it dominates uh, uh, forests in, in certain parts, all the way from Canada to Mexico and the uh, 
by the time you get to Mexico, it's still the same species, but you instead of a deciduous spe- uh, tree, you, you, you're talking about an evergreen tree with rather small, glossy leaves. Mm. Merlot Very is uh, a selection from closer to Mexico than Canada. And they change colour in autumn? Yeah, good autumn colour. Yeah. Look, look, there's quite a few selections of this something appearing... Um, there's a golden leaf one, there's a, 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 which I'm just trying to think of its name. It's just been released over the last year or two, um, but it's, the name's not going to come to me, I'm afraid. Um, and there's a, a weeping variety, green leaves, but a good weeping habit. Um, there's a, a, most probably about seven or eight different selections. They're really handy garden plants because they are leguminous, meaning that they're not terribly competitive. Uh, They actually, um, the the nitrogen is taken in from the atmosphere, (laughs) and uh, so they're a lovely plant for Mm underplanting. And um, so we actually use them in our herbaceous borders. Do you know one called Showgirl? yeah, um, yeah, that does ring a bell. Mm. <laughs> I can go back to my catalogs. Ah, Emma, our producer, has just yep. popped, popped that up for us. So, yep. yeah, yeah. So, obviously, a, a few available. So, has that answered your question, Sophie? Um, it's answered the, the pruning and the, the variety. Yeah. Look, you, you really have the choice as to pruning. If you, the reason why we prune heavily is to, to keep these to uh, a certain size. Otherwise, they would use up all the space in our borders. Um, but where we have space, we just let them grow. Yeah. What about in terms of feeding? Oh, look, they're not hungry feeders. Yeah. Um, just a general purpose fertilizer. You don't need to give them a nitrogenous fertilizer. Just as, um, um, as I said, the nitrogen is taken in from the atmosphere. Yeah. Thank you very much, everyone. Good on you, Sophie. Have a great day. Bye for now. Sure. Bye. Okie dokie, and let's go to Colin and Chelsea. Hi, Colin. Uh, yes, good morning. I have some cauliflowers growing. They look very healthy. There's a lot of leaf growth. Uh, I, I read in one uh, seed packet that you should personally cut the uh, cut the leaves back to, in, to encourage growth of the, the curds, but I'm a bit worried about frost. What would you do at this time of the year with that uh, leaf growth? I, I wouldn't be cutting it back. I, I've never cut leaves back on cauliflowers. Um, and in fact, and in fact, later on, um, as the weather warms, you actually need Use the it. leaves to tie over the top to stop the curd from um, being da- damaged by the sun, yeah. um, which can create bitter flavours. Um, so I, you know, I mean, I think removing some lower leaves would be fine, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be cut, cutting back the the newer leaves at all. All right, and at this time of the year, what about giving them some uh, sort of liquid fertiliser, a light dose, say? Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't do any harm. Um, look, what you're trying to encourage is the flower. So um, really, if you were going to give it anything, I'd be giving it something with some potash in it to encourage flowering rather than um, lots of green leaf growth. But it, well, it always that. depends what yep. sort of preparation you've done beforehand. Yep. So it's hard to to advise because if you've done good preparation then they may not need anything um, but if you if you there's not a lot of organic matter in, in your soil and the microclimate's not fantastic then they may well need a feed 
Okay, thanks for that. Good morning. Good on no you, worries. Have a great day. Bye for now. And Kim has texted in asking if it's too late to plant garlic, and she's also got some saffron bulbs which have started um, shooting. shooting. Oh, Can she plant them? Absolutely. Can put your saffron bulbs in. You may not get saffron this year. In mm-hmm. fact, it, sometimes it can take two or three years before yeah. you get the flowers that give you the saffron. Make sure you remember where they are. Mine, <laughs> I keep forgetting where mine are, and I, I tend to, um, you know, so and they don't flower every year, but they have. I've had them in now for, I don't know, eight or nine years, and mm-hmm. they're doing really well. Um, look, it's never really too late to plant garlic, but if you want to get good bulbs, you're almost getting too late. But again, it depends what you're planting. If you've got some. Um, Creole-type garlics. There are growers who are experimenting with planting that in August. Um, in in um, the warmer parts of Europe, so in Spain and Portugal and places like that, and in northern and in France, they actually plant some of their garlics in spring. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can only do that with the ones that last long enough to be planted then. So they have to be the long storage ones, which yep. are the Creoles and the silver skins. But the... the um, the planting that I that we have seen um, is mainly with the creoles. But look, if you've got some garlic sprouting at the moment, put it in the ground and you can eat it as green garlic in two or three months' time. Mm-hmm. You can eat it as garlic sprouts. Um, don't throw it out. Chuck it in a pot. Use it in some way. Yep. But if it's um, one of the earlier garlics, then it probably won't form proper bulbs. But okay. you can still eat it. Yep. And can you yep. just leave it in and wait for it? For the following season? Um, it's better to harvest it because you really need to be moving your garlic to different places. Otherwise, you're setting up um, for disease problems in the soil if you don't move them okay. each year. Yep. So if you want to harvest it, you'll find um, if it hasn't developed a full bulb, it, it may have developed a, a round, mm-hmm. um, which is like a sort of small onion-sized yeah. thing. Um, and that is actually like having a big clove. So yep. if you cure it and then replant it at the right time you'll get a full-size bulb. Okay, so it just hasn't sort of split itself up. Yeah, it hasn't had long enough in the ground to be able to go through the proper clove development. Yeah, cool. And so you obviously grow saffron as well. I do. And do you harvest? I do. Yeah. I've actually never tasted saffron. It doesn't have a unique taste. It does. It is beautiful. So so it's it's worth its ridiculous cost? Well, yes, it is. It is. But it's also worth growing it because the flowers are beautiful and they're they're one of those things in the garden that when you go out there and you see that finally there is a saffron flower on your on your saffron crocus. It is such an exciting Don't day. Don't you feel sorry when you pick the... No, <laughs> I always feel sorry for picking flowers. I'm just like, you've got so much of them. I'm not going to pick you and bring you inside. You don't have to pick the whole flower. You're just only the, taking yeah, the stamen. Okay, just the stamen, yeah. So you can keep the flower. <laughs> okay, have the flower and uh, eat. Just have my just cake and You only it, get so. three stamens per flower. So that's why they're so precious. Yeah, so yeah. you're out with the tweezers, aren't you? Yeah, out with uh, your tweezers. And, and yeah. down on your hands and knees. And yeah. it always struck me. Is uh, harvesting saffron. <laughs> I, I a, yes, if you had two or three acres of it to harvest, wow. Yes. Uh, I, I'm really fascinated that you're um, you're doing well with it, uh, and that you, you would not have frost, would you? Um, no. Yeah. No, but so it's still, so it's it's still, it doesn't do it every year, um, right. and I tend to I planted probably in the wrong spot, and stuff grows over it, and. So maybe it doesn't get as much sun as it sort of needs in you know, the baking in summer as well. 
Um, but I do get flowers every, you know, two out of three years. Yeah, um, it's grown commercially in places yeah. like, what, Turkey and Iran yeah, and but, Spain. But, but and that's fairly high up as there's well. There's people growing it in Tasmania. Yeah? Yeah, so there's some commercial growers in, well, in Tasmania. Well, that's Tasmania so, for yeah. you, isn't it? Yeah. Lots of yeah. frost and ice. Yeah. What about the wild ones that are coming up everywhere? Are they usable? Autumn crocus? Yeah. No, no they're no, actually okay. poisonous, okay. so don't, don't start don't. eating those. Make sure you've identified... <laughs> I'll, avoid, I'll avoid that. <laughs> yes, make sure you've identified that your crocus is a saffron crocus yep. before you harvest it. Yeah, Probably. and there's yeah. a lot Good of different crocus. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I mean, it's even yeah. like tomatoes. There's so many different tomatoes, yeah. and some are actually poisonous. Look, I'm going to uh, take this opportunity to chat about a little plant that I've brought in, and um, if Liz hasn't put them up on Instagram uh, yet, she she will eventually. Uh, so, Jeremy, this is one which you would probably recognise, given that it is a WA plant. Uh, this is one of the thryptamines. So, the thryptamines are generally lowish, sprawling shrubs. So, they're fantastic for cottage gardens, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, quite sort of unstructured plants. This particular one I brought in is Saxicola amethyst. There's probably around about 40 species, maybe not quite that many, of thryptamines. Most of them are from WA. There's a a few uh, taller ones from other places. I think they get up to about four metres, a couple of them. But essentially they low sprawling and come obviously winter and through into spring and early summer, they are massed with flowers. And this particular one has got little typical um, thryptamine-type flowers and very small foliage, um, almost like micro-foliage in a way. And related to one of the... um, probably more well-known ones, the FC Pain, uh, thryptamine saxicol FC Pain, which is a, a lighter pink. Uh, but again, it's just, it flowers for, for so much of the year, and but this time of year it's just going off. So I've put some photos up on, oh, well, I've sent them to Liz to put on Instagram, just to show people the amount of colour that's still available uh, with natives. And obviously Penny's brought in some plants as well that are beautifully coloured and for, for this time of year. So you can still have an incredibly mm. colourful garden. Really doesn't matter what time of year. And natives, there are a lot of native plants which flower through winter mm. and late autumn, early spring through uh, the whole way through. I've put up a bunch of photos and I've put the, the names with them so you can sort of start um, getting to know them if you don't know your native mm. plants, I suppose. But yeah, this particular one, Thryptamine saxicola, is a very cute little shrub. Uh, probably gets to just under a metre tall, maybe 1.2-ish wide. Uh, generally, thryptamines prefer a slightly acidic soil, well-drained, uh, where they come from, well-drained. But one of the things which I um, read in our friend Roger's encyclopedia uh, is that they, they don't mind a bit of uh, winter moisture, mm. which I find quite inter- interesting in a way because a lot of WA plants really struggle when they come over to the east coast and it's a really sort of wet and cold winter, but apparently mm. these thryptamines, mm. they don't it's mind a, a bit of uh, winter moisture. There's a lot of rain in the southwest every yeah. winter. I know, but, but you, the, just, you the, often the, the think The hills of, above Perth have the same rainfall as the Dandenongs. But, 
but it all falls in a few weeks. Okay, in well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah. But, well, and that, that then makes perfect sense. But so many of the plants that we bring over to the East Coast and, and want to grow are those ones which yeah. really prefer sort of drier yeah. conditions. They expect to dry out yeah. for the rest of the year. They exactly, like especially through winter, <laughs> yeah, when yeah. In, in our heavy clay soils. That but a they're, lot such, of us have they're got. such gorgeous plants. I can remember my mum growing them. So, you know, they've been in Australian been gardens for a long time. Yeah. But yep. they just and they love the way they flower right through winter. Yeah, and yeah. and there are there's lots of different cultivars available now. Mm. There's Mingaloo and and um, yeah, d- different species that are becoming more readily available. Oh, Kings Park. I, I was actually listening to to a, I came in halfway through a discussion. Someone, uh, one of the breeders in Kings Park, talking about the work going on breeding WA plants to make them more. Garden plants, because the the problem is, as you were saying, is the the uh, landscape in WA is just extraordinary. It's it's a, it's a very ancient landscape. The soil's two billion years old in WA, and, and uh, when you think about Australia, it's been moving north at a particular rate. As the, the as the world has been cooling down, and those two things meant that the the climate has stayed much the same for the last forty fifty million years. You know, we're talking deep, deep periods of time here, and so, so there's been a lot of speciation, and uh, so you, you, you know, you, you look at one landscape, and there's, uh, I, I remember walking into the hills on our farm and counting 50 plants flowering just uh, simultaneously, 50 different plants flowering, but uh, move a few kilometres off to the north or south, east and west. The same thing, but a different range of plants, completely different. Um, and Kings Park, they've desperately, uh, well, well, not desperately, but they've, they've set themselves a very ambitious uh, project of of breeding plants which will grow in ordinary gardens mm-hmm. because yep. these plants are evolved to grow in a tiny little pocket of countryside, yep. and once they move out of that country, that that tiny pocket, they won't grow. Yep. They die. Sudden death disease, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and there was, and in fact, I came in as he was talking about crossing Geraldton wax with verticordias, which I, I yeah. was amazed. Yeah. I didn't think it would be possible, but verticordia grandis, which is a very very rare verticordia. In fact, a friend of mine near Mora has set aside a few hundred acres of his farm mm-hmm. because he actually had about twenty plants. And he set aside about four or five hundred acres, uh, you know, with 20 plants growing over that sort of area. Mm-hmm. Um, Verticordia grandis, very exciting. And anyway, they've managed to cross that with the Geraldton wax and come up with these extraordinary plants, which will be appearing over the next three or four years, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, go along to Karanga and there they'll be. Exactly, yeah. We, we, <laughs> we don't have them yet. We certainly have verticordias and, and plenty of uh, yeah. gelatin wax, the Shemalorsium, which are just yep. stand out, yeah. absolute stand out uh, Actually, another thing that was mentioned was the blue kangaroo paw. Not, not a purplish or a mauve, but a true blue, mm. which is unbelievable. And he said, there, there's no genetic modification, nothing, nothing fancy about this, just a breeding program. Yeah, it's, it's mm. quite incredible what they yep. what they can yeah. do. Yeah, and and these newer hybrids are much much easier to grow. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. They've done a lot of work to make them more floriferous and pest and disease yeah. resistant, all those things. So we'll yep. we'll, we'll get back to that. We'd um, chat with uh, Vic from Maribyrnong. Sorry, Vic, you've been on the line for a while. 
No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Uh, look, what can you tell me about mulberry trees? They're big. Uh, what do you what, what 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 do you want to know specifically? Oh, look, a friend of mine's got one sort of growing. Oh, let's call it a foot from a fence and a couple of feet from the path, and it, the, the, the trunk could probably be about eight inches in diameter. The tree does look old. Yep. Um, could be to the nature of its uh, the way it's been pruned. It looks fantastic. Um, the trunk would have to be about at least eight inches in diameter. Oh, it have to be maybe a bit bigger than that. Yep. But so, the roots in the ground appear to be nearly the same diameter as the trunk of the tree. Okay. Um, yeah. Do these things like a lot of water? Or what no, are they? Look, they like a reasonable amount of water, but um, look, mulberries do get, um, if left to their own devices, do get into very big trees. They can be, you know, 10, 15 metres high. They can be as much again across. Um, so, and, and there are lots of different sorts of mulberries as well. You, he, can, oh. he can prune that mulberry back if he wants to. He, you, know, you can you can really prune mulberries hard and they will come back again. I mean, you can grow mulberries in big pots if you want to as well because you can just keep cutting them back. Um, they they produce fruit. I'm pretty sure on one year old growth. Um, so you you may lose your fruit in in one year. Um, it's it's, it's, the, it's the, the black mulberry and the white mulberry, and the white mulberry is from the, the Eastern Asia and China, yeah. and it has a, a somewhat glossy leaf, and that's very vigorous. And yeah. then there's black mulberry with a slightly hairy leaf, and that's smaller growing. And they I'm, 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 I'm yeah. quite, quite honestly, I'm, I'm wondering whether you've got a black mulberry because it's it's um, that's a tree that you do see through Melbourne. Yeah. Um, particularly delicious fruit and smaller grower. You, but you, they're, they're, they're one of those trees that do, uh, well, they're quite drought tolerant. They are. <laughs> yep. I think of them, uh, as a, as a garden, as a tree you see in a garden, abandoned garden with a, uh, out in the bush but and the house has yeah. fallen down and nothing trees. else has survived but apart from the mulberry. mulberry. And there it is. Can uh, I, can I just make a suggestion to you? We actually have an article about mulberries in the next edition of Organic Gardener magazine. Oh, come on. This is a setup, is, isn't no, it? No, no. <laughs> absolutely not. It's due out on the 26th of June. So in, a, in about a week's time, I think the end of, end of next week. And, um, so it's, a, it's the ABC's Organic Gardener magazine. Okay, okay. Um, and it's wow. all about mulberries, and there's actually three main different sorts of mulberries because one of them is the is the sort of tree that they grow for um, silkworms. Silkworms, yeah. So yeah. it covers all the different mulberries the and mulberry. how to grow them and what yeah. you can do with them and where you can find them and all those sort of things. So I would suggest yeah. that you grab yourself a copy. Well, you already sold me one. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Now, yeah. now, how can I tell? How can I tell if this particular... At the moment, there's no leaves on it. It's, it's yeah. Very, there's no leaves on it. Check out the fruit yeah. in spring and see oh, what colour fruit you're getting. Yeah. yeah. No, but I'm, I'm in the unfortunate position. I have to cut this one down. The lady wants me to cut it down. Ooh. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you... you want to get rid of it because the roots are so big and they follow her uh, brick path. Right. 
underneath it, Betty. I'd want to be quite sure that the roots were actually from the mulberry. There aren't any oh, other... Oh, from there, all right. You can yeah. see them because okay. they're like a... They're, they're, you can see it, um, they're broken the surface of the ground. You can see everywhere they go. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Just below the surface, the, the, you know, it's like a iceberg. Yeah, Okay. The roots under the ground, but the rest of it's on the top. Now, listen, can I ask you another question just quickly? Yeah, go for it. I've got, a, I've got a fig tree growing on the fence. At the moment, there's no leaves on it. Yep. No no leaves. Yeah, they lose their leaves in winter. Yeah. But the problem is it, um, it's got heaps of, heaps of suckers. And, um, well, there, I've got to get rid of them. I don't know what to do about them. And the second thing is... Can I grab one of those suckers or somehow move move the tree, you know what I mean? Grow a new tree somehow? Um, the fig trees grow really easily from cuttings. So I would just take a cutting from the, the good wood of the tree that you've got, uh, put it in a pot with some soil, take two or three of them and they will all grow. Now, when you say a cutting, is that one of the suckers out of the... No, no, I, no, no, because it, if it, it... Look, fig trees are not usually grafted, but you're much better off taking it from the wood that actually forms the tree. So the new growth of the tree, the branches, so take a, a cutting about, you know, 20 centimetres, 30 centimetres long of, of the bare wood of the tree. Sort of what diameter are we talking about? Well, pencil thickness, that, yeah. that sort of thing, and cut yeah, just below all. a node. And, and, and you can put 12 or so in, in a 14-centimetre pot, just put them in. Yeah, keep it, keep it moist, keep it out of direct sun, and, yeah, away you go, and you'll end up with tree, fig trees for the neighbourhood. How long, how long do they sort of, can you expediate its uh, rate of growth to get it all happening? Or do we have to wait 100 years to get big enough to make it through? <laughs> Um, look, you you will get fruit within a within a couple of years on on those cuttings. They they will actually fruit on quite small trees. And no special mix to put the, the no cuttings in. No, no. I know people who've just shoved them into the soil and they've grown, but then you've got to dig them up and move them. But yeah. And that's it. Yep. That's, that's so amazing. They're too two easy. easy easy trees. Those two without an awful lot of problems. Okay. And you can put you can grow figs in big pots as well. Gee, fantastic! <laughs> Good oh, on well, on you, Vic. You earn your twenty bucks for next week. <laughs> <laughs> Good on, on you, Vic. Anyway, I'll go to Tom. Um, Thursday. Yeah. Yep. You might earn you might earn another twenty after that. Oh, okay. so, sounds good. If we keep on the line, we might be up to eighty by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you never know. Yeah. Good on you, Vic. So, have a good Sunday. Bye so for now. So, Thank you very, very much. Okay, bye-bye. So Vic's talking about the radio song. Yes. Next ne- week. Next, in case next Sunday. Not, not Thursday. <laughs> it's, on, it's on, well, the gardening one. I mean, the it's already gardening started. gardening magazine's the, coming out on yeah, Thursday. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, yeah, in South Africa, we used to have a few massive mulberry trees, and I had silkworms, and just mm. loved seeing that continuous life cycle of yep. them. It was just, yeah, absolutely fascinating. But that that was a black mulberry, so not not the white mulberry. So, do they use white mulberries for um, silk protection? Well, 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 they? They, well it, um, it, it, the white mulberry is uh, uh, the the one that the silkworms eat. But the difference between the black mulberry and the white mulberry is a little bit subtle because they both mm. have. Deep red fruit. Oh. 
Um, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, except the black mulberry is slightly deeper, I suppose, but it has a, uh, a slightly hairy leaf. Yeah. And and the fruit, uh, according to the aficionados, uh, is slightly more delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. that, but a smaller tree. Yeah, are a beautiful fruit. Um, uh, Penny, this one directed at you. So Kim has texted back to ask about planting the saffron just in a pot, potting mix in the ground. Uh, I, I just put it in the ground, but I have slightly acidic soil, so mm-hmm. it it depends a little bit on your on your soil. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the ground or in a pot is fine. And and you can always, you know, if you decide you want to put them somewhere else later, you can just move them sure. during the dormant time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they're really easy to grow. Yeah. So don't don't stress about it too much, but just remember where you put them. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Some plants that are really precious to us, we sort of treat them as if they're going to be really hard to grow. Yeah. And and but really, some, some plants of them aren't. aren't. Mm. Yeah. 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 And then a reasonably sunny spot. Or yeah, 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 yeah. They do need sun. Sorry. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, it doesn't matter. If a sunny spot in the summer as well, or yeah, it's sun, sun as much sun as you can of, give them. Yeah, take a bit, yeah. a bit of yeah. baking. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, and, and good drainage. Yeah. Excellent. All right, let's um, say good day to our friend Jill from the Herb Society. Hi, hey, baby. Hi, how are you going? Hi, Jill. I'm fine. Hi, Penny. Hi, Geraldine. Hi. Yeah, so I'm all right. Um, I just have to give you the news that the Herb Society has cancelled the July the 1st meeting because it was too iffy. You know, the uh, Burnley couldn't tell us for sure that it was going to be open. So yeah. there we go. And our next meeting will be August the 5th and it will be a quiz night and the Herb Society's 41st birthday. And... Um, Yes, bring your, uh, you can bring your mobile, but you're not allowed to Google anything. It has to be a <laughs> Fair enough, too. Yeah, yeah. From memory. <laughs> and uh, uh, the last, def- the last um, herb age had my article about herbs and plants from the first fleet in it. So that's very interesting for people to look up. And time now to join the Herd Society, and you can join us um, through the website. Uh, The instructions are there, and then you can see the Herb Age on the internet instead of getting the paper copy, if that's your desire. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and if you're a member, you can just you you get the Herb Age emailed to you. um, That's right. Which is good. You can choose to have it by either method. Yep. So and it's always full of really good information, so which is good. How long, Jill? How long have you been part of the Herb Society? I've been in the Herb Society, I think, about uh, thirty-eight years. Gosh, yes. so you, yeah, one of one of the original members. No, I'm not one of the original. Um, Marjorie Hutchinson and Ray Boatman were two mm. of the originals, and of course, both have died. But Marjorie's daughter has been the president for a couple of years and she's been doing the Herb Age while being president. So she's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, she does a good job. You know, it's hard work getting that. To extract articles out of members all the time. Mm. Mm. And, yep. uh, anyway. Well, that's amazing, though. 41st uh, birthday. 
Yeah, I think yeah. I've been involved since the very very early days, but I can't. I don't think I was. Con- I've been continuous, so yeah. I think there were periods where I wasn't a yeah. member. But I know when I had the herb nursery well, in we Ballarat love, more than thirty yours. years ago, I was a member. Yeah. Your talks, your talks on tomatoes, and of course your uh, garlic, and oh, well, I think it's about time to have another one. But we're <laughs> cut short with our. Uh, I tried to have uh, a. Um, the lady who who did the tomato book with you, um, Karen, the, yeah. Karen Sutherland, yep. Uh, yes, to come, you know, because if you have British and uh, fleet stuff, you need to have then the Aboriginal plant. Yes, yep. which plant. Karen's so really knowledgeable about. We've asked her to do that in either September or December now, Great. because she was going to do it in August. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jill. So, Jill, just quickly, in in terms of herbs, I mean, just because you've been involved for so long, have there been sort of fashions that have come and gone in terms of, A, you know, maybe the number of people who have been part of the group and the types of plants that are sort of coming in and out of fashion, that sort of thing? Yes, there is is really, you know, things. I think things like, Perennial basil, you know, have become very favourite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, our church has now, we've, we've put carpet over a big stretch of lawn near the footpath next to the vicarage, and we're going to grow herbs and vegetables there uh, that the locals can pick or interact with, prune. And, um, and so, yes, I've got perennial basil and I've got parsley and, uh, yes, I've got quite a few... Someone's giving me some uh, summer savoury to plant there and on and on. So, you know, we're moving in, a diff- in different ways, which is nice, isn't it? Lat- naturally bringing herbs to a community that really has, hasn't even had a garden club for years. So yeah, wonderful. There we go. Yeah, beautiful. And as, as, as we were, you know, preparing the ground, people walked by and said, oh, we'd love to be involved. Is there a garden club? And I thought, there's someone who's about 35 who'll probably start a garden club as a result. Mm. So Absolutely, yeah, just with that knowledge passed down. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, good on you, Jill. We'll have a, a lovely 41st birthday. Thank you very much. Okay. Yes, I'm, Thanks, I'm, Jill. I'm 79, so I like 41. <laughs> you, can, you can claim 41 next, next month. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Jeremy. Bye. 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 Oh, that that's pretty uh, good, isn't can, it? Can I mention a herb while we? Sorry. Yeah, no, you yeah. go. <laughs> I just I just brought this herb in, which I just thought it might be nice thing. We've yeah. just been talking to Jill. This is Lovage, and talking about ah, trends. Lovage looks like talking about trends. Yep. Lovage has become cool. Okay. So oh, I've, gosh, been, I've been cool. growing it for years and years and years. So I'm going to hand a little bit around. I want you to I, chew. I better not be hot like the no, no, it's damn not chilies. Hot. No, I want the... you to chew the stem. <laughs> so um, Lovage, oh, is, like Lovage is in the celery family. Oh, okay. um, mm. But it's a very old English herb. And it dies back in winter. But it's one of the first that appears again in spring. So it has a. it's not a celery flavour, but it sort of has elements of that mm. with... Yeah. Other flavours as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's being used. It's celery to begin with and then it and then, flows into something yeah, else. Yeah. So yep. it's a glorious plant that is not used enough. And it grows, it's a herbaceous, typical herbaceous perennial, mm-hmm. grows as quite a big 
clump um, produces flowers and seeds, which are also edible, and then it dies back again in winter, particularly in cold areas. Not in your in, garden, by the way. Well, yeah, not in my <laughs> garden. It hasn't <laughs> died back. I don't get the frosts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but in most gardens it will die back in winter. So it's a good one to look out for now, and you'll be finding it more and more in recipes. It's a bit like Colrabi. People are starting to grow things that some of us have been growing for years, yeah. but um, suddenly discovering that they have all these... How do you treat it in the kitchen? Um, I will chop it into salads because mm-hmm. I just like the flavour in salads, I, but mainly into sauces. And it's a really, although it dies back in winter, it is actually a nice winter plant because it adds a depth of flavour to casseroles and stews. And But I'll also put it into stir fries sometimes yeah, as okay. well. So um, think parsley, yep. but a, a different flavour. So yeah. the sort of things that you might do with parsley, you can also do with love each. Yeah, it, it's um, sort of almost like... Parsley on steroids, or, or a very yeah. um, very skinny celery. Yeah, so it's quite but, I mean, quite long you stems. Can, you can use the typical. stems, you can yep. use the leaves, yep. you can yeah. So and you can eat the seeds. So yeah, fabulous. And I mean, it sort of reminds me of the native uh, parsley and native celery, yes. which again, yeah. Um, yeah. apium prostratum var prostratum, I think yes. it is, and both have that sort of celery flavour, mm. but not you. You don't use the stems in in the same. Yeah. Way. I mean, you can still yeah. use the stems. So the stems, nice the stems can be quite crunchy. So yeah. they're quite nice, chopped finely into something that you put in at the last minute. So sure. without overcooking them, so that you can still maintain the crunchiness too. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. So, so it sounds like there's still quite a bit going on in your veggie garden. Yeah, there's lots of plants out at the yeah. moment. I've, the thing I'm using more than almost anything else is silver beet, and, okay. and this is this is one of the perennial spinaches, which is the other plant. That it's a sort of looks like a cross between silver beet and spinach, spinach but it yeah. has the green stems rather than the white or coloured stems, um, and the leaves are sort of softer and um, and it, the flavour is somewhere in between. And is that a typical size leaf? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. looks they fantastic. They do. They get a little bit bigger, but not hugely bigger. But mine self size, so okay. it's another one of those that comes up in different parts of the garden and. I've got so much of this at the moment, and it's so, they're so healthy. Eating your greens yeah. is so important. And is discovering that, over and over again. Yes, is that, is that one that you can eat are, raw? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so into I know salads. Spinach, you'd, if you sort of if you've got yeah. kidney stones, you'd probably avoid yeah. raw spinach. Yeah, not as much oxalic acid. acid. Yeah. yeah, but I think Jeremy had something. Sorry, thanks, Jeremy. Oh, we well, just finishing. I, I just want to point out to people: please don't come up to the hills to look around. There's police roadblocks. I noticed as I was travelling through the roadblock uh, yesterday afternoon, about two-thirds of the people were getting turned away because they were coming to have a look. And there are emergency teams everywhere still working. That's going to be, going to be the case for another few days yet. Um, I must uh, say that our office is without power, so, so hence it's been very difficult for us to get any word out to people. And so I've been, uh, had other people helping me. Um, but we're hoping to have power back on over the next two or three days and maybe we, we will have um, uh, people back in the hills over maybe a week or two but, uh, but we'll put word onto our website um, and just let people know what's going on mm-hmm. but in the meantime please stay out of the hills Avoid the area, mm-hmm. yeah I mean yeah. there's plenty yeah. of uh, photos available <laughs> online yeah. To, yeah. To, to see what's and, going uh, on And apart from that, well we're, we're fine uh, most of the gardens seem to be fine mm. um, and uh, yes, yeah, so there's going to be an interesting little exercise over the next uh, 
a little while coming to grips with what has happened and where Mm. we go from here. Mm. Yeah, still a hell of a lot of a clean-up to be going on. And still people getting their power back slowly. Yeah, over the they'll next be couple cleaning up for years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the good things, I, I say that very lightly, uh, a lot more firewood available <laughs> now. And, and I've noticed that there's a lot of people um, going around with <clears throat> chainsaws and, and trailers and, and essentially in their helping to clean up the area, they're, they're getting some firewood to take home because in terms of when the... Um, the crews come in to clean them up. A lot of the time they just mulch all the trees and and then they will leave a big pile of mulch. So that's kind of convenient. But it's also for people that don't have uh, access to firewood as much. It's, um, yeah, kind of convenient. Yes, we can actually use the timber. Well, that will be one small mercy out of all this. That's that's Mm. exactly right, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, and so what are you guys up to? What are you going home to? Anything specific? Anything gardening related or going to go back to bed? No, writing, <laughs> writing articles for organic gardening. Writing articles. Did you write the mulberry tree next, one? No, I didn't. You didn't? Okay. I didn't. Paul yeah. West okay. wrote that one. Yeah. So so what did yeah. you say you're starting on the next Next edition. edition. Yeah. yeah. So the one that's due after the one that's coming out yeah. this week. What that's about we, we work well in advance. Well, yeah, that's so true. Some yeah. yeah, Gardening Australia, months in advance, they contact me and say, oh, can you write a story about this? It's for, you know, the September yeah. issue. And they're like, oh, it's January. But, but yeah, sure. <laughs> what about yourself, Jeremy? Uh, well, we have projects we're heading towards in the spring. Yeah. And, they, and um, um, well, well, we'll sort of go into these things as they come to fruition, I suppose. But um, Ian Maher's been working on two or three of his pieces during the lockdown, actually, in New South Wales. So they're actually complete and yep. waiting for him to come and install them. And so, but that'll be happening. Stuff in the going on. Yeah, lots of stuff going on, all sorts of projects. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, that is definitely our lot for today. So thanks so much, Jeremy Francis and Penny Woodford for coming in. Pleasure. Thanks to our producer, Emma, for the fabulous job. Lots of passing notes and, and useful botanical advice. So thanks very much there. And uh, to you, the listeners, please join us next week for our um, gardening show, Radiothon. So until next week, bye-bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.